Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com spoken today. Ready to pop the question and take advantage of 30% off? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com to get 30% off. Select lab-grown diamonds. That's BlueNile.com for 30% off lab-grown diamonds. BlueNile.com. Welcome to heaven. This is Under Consultation, an episode-by-episode podcast-type situation through the UK's greatest video game challenge TV show, Games Master. I am one of your hosts, Luke Owen, and couldn't we have done this in California? And praying to the gods of Bill Gates and Intel, I am Ash Versus. This episode aired on the 21st of December 1995. FIFA 96 again tops the console charts. Michael Jackson's Earth Song is still top of the pops and is our official Christmas number one. And in a correction from last week's episode, last week was Goldeneye's last week at the top of the box office because we have a new number one at the top of the UK box office. It's Babe. When I first came to the boss's farm, it was a whole new world to me. Everyone here seemed to know their place. The boss and his wife, the sheep dogs, the sheep, and all the other animals. Well, almost. We've got to do something about that duck. Now I just have to figure out where I fit in. <laughs> I want my mom. Good heavens. Who are you? Babe. <laughs> the little pig's a bit low. He's going to sleep with us. But mom, you went to bed. <sighs> what are you? You pig. What are you? I'm a you. A you. This is the story of a brave soul. Hello, sir. Get out of here. Who is trying to find his destiny. Can I learn how to work the sheep today? Get him up, pig. Remember, you have to dominate them. Bend them to your will. He knew his path would not be easy. I'm not sure if you realize how much the other animals are laughing at you. It's not a duck that thinks it's a rooster. It's a pig that thinks it's a dog. You should accept what he is and be thankful for it. But now he's determined. Be 
they're sheep. They're inferior. Oh, no, they're not. To take care of business... All a nice little pig like you need do is ask. His way. Or to those of us that grew up with books, The Sheep Pig by Dick King-Smith. Now, you asked me last week, what did I do for my 10th birthday? And I went to the pictures to see Babe. So I'm now starting to wonder if that's what I did for my 10th birthday. I went to the pictures to see Babe. I doubt you would have been alone. I remember going to see this movie. I'm fairly certain I saw it with one of my siblings. And I know it became a frequent flyer VHS upon the home video release. I... I'm actually fairly certain that I read The Sheep Pig to at least one of my younger siblings. At least one. Mm-hmm. We were talking about story time last week and, well, story time here. Because I, I remember having The Sheep Pig read to me or read with me kind of as a learning exercise when I was younger. And it was just one of those, it was one of those books that was kind of like around the house, like a family kind of almost tradition. I guess because we grew up in a very rural area. And so we did have, uh, we actually had a a shepherdess called Jenny who kept a good chunk of her flock in the field opposite uh, our house. And occasionally the sheep would actually graze in the field that was directly attached onto our garden. So they would occasionally just be kind of sticking their heads through the gaps in the hedge and stuff like that. So I think seeing sheeps and sheepdogs was a very natural part of our life and therefore made that book naturally appealing. And while I may have gone to see this film, you know... For the younger ones, I did low-key pretty much enjoy this movie. So yeah. it, it's a lot of fun. It's very well made. It was written and directed by Chris Noonan and George Miller. Yes, that George Miller. Yes, doing this movie and indeed doing the follow-on, Babe, Pig in the City, did delay and in some cases cause issues for Mad Max Fury Road because I've just finished listening to the audiobook on the story of Fury Road, and Babe gets mentioned more than a few times. It is funny, isn't it? Like, is it's, you know, George Miller. It's the Mad Max guy. It's the guy who did the Twilight Zone movie. And then it's like, and he's also the guy that did Babe. And it, it, I feel like when Mad Max Fury Road came out, there was this resurgence of people who discovered that fact that were like, wait, what? He directed Babe and Pig in the City? It's it's quite delightful in a way uh, that, that George Miller has such range like this. I think it also probably came out as well when he was attached to Justice League Mortal, um, which, you know, I'm kind of very, very sad that we never got our Justice League Mortal movie. Best Movies Never Made did a very good podcast about that. It's like reading through the script of it. It's very, very interesting because it would have been absolute bollocks. It would have, and it would it would have had an amazing cast doing absolute bollocks. I mean, Immortan Joe would have been in it. It would have had, a, yeah, a very, very good cast. Or Toe Cutter, know. depending on which Mad Max you prefer. You know, and the, the pictures that they did, the test pictures they did, are very, very good. But man, it is a movie that is built around a fast food chain um, profiteering off the Justice League. Mad, mad bollocks, that. I mean, this film, well, a rather simple tale to tell in a book is actually a quite complicated tale to portray on screen because whilst he's not working with children, he is working with animals and there were a lot of animals required for this. There were a lot of sheep, a lot of pigs and quite a few dogs and it was a mixture of real animals and animatronics. And unfortunately, and I think it's because they are so, I guess, photogenic, um, the breed of pig that was used 
for Babe, the sheep pig, was what is known as a large white. The name gives it away. They grow very quickly. And therefore, because of this, during the filming process, they needed to use 46 different piglets of the required size. But it's okay because they were all delicious. I'm sure that they had a a great lunch every day. (laughs) Oh, man. Oh, craft table. You know, I mean, delicious, but very, very bad for your blood pressure. I mean, it may be, but maybe that's the way that uh, these movies need to operate on, is you don't have a craft budget, you just have what's left over of the cast. (laughs) Fucking hell. I love how you're the one that's the vegetarian here. As you're eating it. (laughs) That'll do, pig. I will say it was very distracting when Farmer Hoggett did turn up as also the founder of the warp drive in Star Trek First Contact. And then again, in a recent episode of um, uh, the Law and Order spin-off, Organised Crime, as a um, kind of a uh, catfisher slash elderly hitman. And all the way through it, I'm just like, it's Farmer Hoggett. Yeah, he was in uh, Succession as well. And it came on screen. And you have that moment where you're like, crikey, I cannot think why I can't place him in something. And then after a while, it just hits you. It's like, oh, yeah, it's that'll do, pig man from Babe. But there is a bit more to say on this film, including some controversy. But as we have it for a couple of weeks, you know, we'll, 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 we, you know, we'll pace ourselves much like you should during the consumption of bacon. Yeah, I mean, next week's going to be a fairly packed old episode as well because it's the Christmas special next week, which means we'll get to go through the TV guide uh, for, for 1995 and the, the Christmas lineup and stuff. However, next week's episode is also a clip show. So I actually don't know how next week's episode is going to operate because we haven't had a clip show yet. No, in fact, we were planning to record that episode today and it did occur to me just before we started this one, I haven't got a Scooby how we're going to do this. Do we just like, do we do our own clip show? Oh man, that actually sounds like more work than just talking about it. It's way more work actually. Yeah, we'll we'll just talk about the segments individually. Next week's going to be a very weird episode. Happy Christmas. (laughs) That's why I think we're just going to front load it all with just a lot of Christmas chatter. Yeah, I, but to be honest, you say next week's episode is going to be very weird. It's going to be very weird because this will be our fourth or fifth Christmas we've discussed on Games Master. Oh, yeah. While only having two in the actual... No, only having one. Or is it two? Two. We've had two. We've had two. Yeah, we've had two. Oh, of course, yeah, because we had the one before you became DAD and the one after DAD. Oh, absolutely. And very, very different Christmases they were. Oh, indeedy. But yes, so we'll talk a little bit more about Babe, because if we've got it for another two weeks, we've got time. We have got time. And, you know, we'll talk, there's not really a whole lot to talk about the TV and music news either, particularly the music news, but not really a lot to talk about TV, because that's all going to come next week when we have the uh, the Christmas specials and all that sort of gubbins. But actually, we've got anything that we quickly want to discuss from the magazine before we get into this episode. And in all fairness, we should probably try and front load this episode as well, because there's not a whole lot to say about the episode as a whole. Now, Christmas is quite literally around the corner, and the cheeky, spot little brats amongst you may well be getting big, shiny new PCs. Of course, that's where the problem begins, because the instruction manuals that come with them are the most difficult things to understand since the 1885 All England Difficult to Understand Championships. That's why we've called today's event PC Impossible. Ash, a few weeks ago, you and I had our first ever One Challenge episode with Virtual Pool. And is this technically a one challenge episode as well? I suppose there's only one game. There are two challenges, but there's only one game actually being played on it. 
So it's, it's more in line with the internet episode as opposed to the virtual pool one. I mean, I would argue they are both valid challenges but only one is a traditional Games Master challenge. I would argue this is far more of a challenge than the kind of searching the net challenge because there is a definable goal. They have a set amount of tasks to do. It's just not a standard rescue the princess. But I think, therefore, I did actually enjoy it a lot more than some of our previous off-kilter challenges that we've had it, it's an odd duck of an episode it is a weird episode isn't it like well you know we'll get into it in uh, in just a moment but it is it's a bizarre episode and i don't think i like it, it I, I think this is a this feels like proper filler like i get what they were going for and it ties nicely into the feature i will certainly give it that uh but i don't think it fully works i mean I, I i will put my cards down on the table now it doesn't just tie into the feature it feels like a very canny bit of marketing related directly to the feature i thought that as well until there's a line that kirk says where then it didn't feel like it was paid for promotion what line was that or were you pointed out when we get to it i'll, I'll, I'll highlight it when we get to it Ooh, tension bit of tension there but you know uh, it's a bit of foreshadowing perhaps well you know what we've, we've spoken enough about you know spoken vaguely enough about what this is why don't we head on over to Games Master and find out what this challenge is? I know most of our viewers are well below average intelligence, but even so, I'm amazed by the number of queries I receive from hapless PC owners driven to distraction by their failure to get games working on their machines. Many of them blame the machine or the manuals. So I decided to put it to the test by calling on our celebrities to set up a brand new PC and get a game running on it by the end of the show. Frankly, if they can't do it with their celebrated intellect, what hope is there for our moronic viewers? Oh, wow, I've just been called an idiot by Games Master. Not for the first time. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it is nice to know that there are still kids writing in letters to Games Master asking for him for consultations own clips. He's just not doing them anymore. So in, instead, he's just sending them as challenges instead. But this is so much a snapshot in time because here we are. We are right on the cusp of PCs becoming accessible. Up until this point, it still involved command lines, floppy disks, some of which we will get in a little bit. I used to go to Saturday lessons that my parents thought would be a good idea uh, to learn not just how to use kind of like um, things like an Amstrad or a Spectrum. I already knew how to use those, but to learn how MS-DOS and other things worked. Of course, what it actually resulted in is I started playing Prince of Persia and Populous and all those games rather than actually doing anything useful. But it was still an important lesson of how complicated computers could still be at that point. But now we are, I mean, we are here at the launch of Windows 95. This is, for better or worse, a game changer. Yeah. So my first PC that we had as a family, we had one as a family, like one of those black with green text uh, word processing computers that I don't think lasted very long. We, I think my dad must have got it off his brother or something. Um, but then we upgraded to... A Windows 95 machine, which obviously still had DOS on it because there were certain games that I played that did run through DOS. So I kind of just sort of learned by doing essentially. Like we didn't go to like anything like that. And, uh, you know, and kind of what they point out with Windows 95, the whole point of Windows 95 is that games would just run on Windows 95. You didn't have to dick around with uh, boot disks and this, that, and the other, which we'll get to in this challenge. But yeah, it's, it's so fascinating to watch the 
transition of time through Games Master, of course, is one of the reasons why we wanted to do this. Starting in the early 90s, where we still had things on the Amiga, then moving into the console era of Mega Drive versus SNES. Now we're into the 32-bit era with Saturn versus PlayStation. But in the background of all of that, particularly in last series and series four, remember like the Christmas episode, Dom talked about how PCs are becoming more accessible and you know you were buying them in Virgin Megastore. So yeah, this is a very, very it's an interesting challenge. It is a it's a punchline, it is a joke, but it is fascinating to see that we are literally on that cusp of change from 3.1 and DOS to Windows 95 and making this much easier for everyday folk to do. I mean, what better examples of everyday folk, Luke, than soap actors? Well, that's it, isn't it? Because we, we're bringing in celebrities here because celebrities have far superior intellect than regular folk. So what we're looking to test here is, can these far superior beings actually put together a PC and install a game? Because if they can't do it, then there's absolutely no chance in hell that we mere mortal idiots would be able to do this. I would say that is the best joke of this episode, is that we're bringing in celebrities because they are, quote unquote, better than us. But what we're actually proving at the end is that they're actually quite thick and useless, and we at home are better than them. I think that's quite a good little punchline. Now, normally we don't like to run the risk of testing celebrities' intellect and problem-solving abilities. Today, though, we are going to make an exception. So please welcome two of the country's smarter soap stars, Patsy Palmer and Dean Gaffney. Yeah. Uh, now, Dean, your character in EastEnders, Robbie, basically bad lad, bit of a delinquent. Yes, uh, does that lead to any problems for you in the um, real world? It can do when I'm out and about with my friends. People think I'm the real Robbie and they lock up. Everything inside, yeah. Really. yeah, like out their door. Do you think you're trying to nick stuff from shops at all? Um, I went into, um, yeah, I go to a couple of shops around the area and people say, are you going to pay for that, Robbie? <laughs> uh, and what about Wellard, uh, the dog? Any problems with that one, sir? Or he no, he seems fine, yeah, he's very funny. He is actually a she. Oh, it's a she? I beg your pardon, I've never actually looked that closely, actually. <laughs> well, we've had that particular camera angle uh, on his tenders yet. Fancy, I've never made any secret of the fact, <laughs> I find you ravishingly attractive, I fancy you. <laughs> Um, do you find that uh, you get a lot of blokes hitting on you? Perhaps not in quite such a charming way as myself. But no, generally. not really. Why not? I don't know. Do you wear that dress when you go out? <laughs> I like it. Sometimes. It's nice. How many curtains did it take to <laughs> put that one together there? <laughs> and, uh, and finally for you, Patsy, you have been involved with many blokes in EastEnders, your character. I yeah. Mean, uh, who's the nicest? David Wick. I think. Okay, it doesn't really do very handsome. But he's a very handsome bloke. Mm. And obviously, this is uh, quite an intellectually demanding challenge. You've got to get your PCs together and get the game running. Uh, do you feel confident, Dean? Um, kind of. Uh huh. Kind of. Not no, quite convincing, no, me. No, no, not really. No. I don't. And Patsy, you're not confident. No. I know. And representing the great and good of the general public, we've got Patsy Palmer and Dean Gaffney. Yeah, interestingly, when I first wrote my notes here, I wrote down Patsy Kensett and Dean Gaffney. And I don't know why either, because it's quite clearly Patsy Palmer. It's quite clearly Bianca. And I just, I don't know, it was only until the second half when he introduced her as Patsy Palmer, and I was like, hang on, I thought it was Patsy Kensett. You can tell that I was not a regular EastEnders watcher. No, but Patsy Palmer, I mean... We've already talked about her a bit because we did the EastEnders Christmas special. She was definitely key to that episode. And we did but that in addition, UCP Extra archives over on Patreon. It is indeed. And 
Not only was she an EastEnders, she's also in a DJ and was known for her role in Grange Hill. She was there for two years. She was also born and grew up in Bethnal Green, East London, one of my old stomping grounds when uh, Pro Wrestling Eve were based at the Resistance Gallery. She is, um, I've told this before, but I watched, my, my paternity leave, I watched through series five with the kid. Like I would take her downstairs and uh, wanted to give my wife some rest. But then I would carry on watching it when my wife came downstairs as well. And I watched this episode and this was one of the times when my wife came into the room and instantly recognized the celebrity that was on this. She had this twice with the show that she saw. One of them was Patsy Palmer and the other one is, I think in one of the last or later episodes we get with Richard Herring. Uh, and that's only because, you know, Taskmaster and things like that. But yeah, she was just like, oh my God, is that Patsy Palmer? I said, it certainly is. And she was like, crikey, she looks basically exactly the same now as she did then. She has aged remarkably well. I think possibly because she did get out of EastEnders. Um, she quit the soap originally in 1999, provisionally to spend more time with her family. She then came back for a rarity, a special episode of EastEnders entitled ricky and bianca it was a two-part hour-long yeah two-part hour-long special filmed in manchester which reunited bianca and ricky for the first time in over two years and then interestingly in the mid-2000s she publicly criticized eastenders branding the storylines ridiculous and stating that she would never go back to eastenders in october 2007 the bbc announced that palmer would be returning to the soap as a full-time character which she did so in April 2008. Well, you know, uh, if you don't like my morals, I have others you can buy. Um, this is, yeah. I, I, what I would say about Patsy Palmer as well, I, I think we actually talked about this on that UCP Extra episode. I didn't watch EastEnders when I was a youth. We were a Coronation Street household, uh, Northern Proud. But I knew the names Bianca, and I knew Ricky, and I knew the impressions that people did of them. And so, like, I be ain't at Ricky. So I knew all of this. And she was a very recognizable name and figure in 90s pop culture. But after rejoining in April 2008, she did stick around for another six years. She announced in 2014 that she was leaving the series. And then she reprised the role again in 2019. And in February 2020, she announced that she would be returning to the role of Bianca. But then... Something happened. Can't remember what it was. It definitely put a lot of people's plans on hold, though. And uh, that's that's where her current EastEnders story, to the best of my knowledge, ends. But she hasn't been killed off yet, so who knows? We um yeah, we we talked about this with the Emmerdale Farm lass a few year a few you know very few weeks back now when we were talking about her. Like, if you're on a soap opera, if you're on a soap opera and you don't get killed off, there's always every chance that they can bring you back. So, like, if you want to leave a soap opera, the best option you have is to be killed off as a character because there's more than likely a chance then you won't come back. I'm unsurprised that Bianca's come back a lot as well because she, as I was you know, saying earlier, she's such an endearing character, such an, sorry, an enduring character is the word I should be using there. You know, always on the show, always a part of that lexicon and things like that. So it's, it is unsurprising. Um, kind of feel bad for her in a little bit of a way because it does sort of scream of, I can't get any other work, so I have to go back to EastEnders. Uh, however, sort of, of the two people that we have here, because she's on with Dean Gaffney, um she does not want to be here christmas day she does not want to be on this show yeah i i think if we just turned up and they were just gonna play fifa on the mega drive she'd have been into it but it's like we, we've got to do what 
I don't even know if she'd be into that either. Like, it just feels like... Because even when Dom is interviewing her and stuff, she's just giving, like, throughout the episode, monosyllabic answers. She's not on board with his flirty banter. She has just got an... Like, you know, she laughs and stuff and will sort of, like, play up to, to Dom's chauvinistic tendencies. But really, she is... She doesn't want to be there and she would rather be doing something else. Dean appears to be having a, you know, he looks like he's having a lovely time and he's playing up to it as well. Like late, later on when he gets that bit right and he gets the, the D command right, he gets so excited that he figured something out. And that, that's really sweet. Yeah, I mean, the only reason I thought she might have been into it if it was just an actual game is uh, there was a point much later where Dean mentioned sticking with his Mega Drive and she kind of perked up at that a bit going, yeah, yeah, Mega yeah. Drive. So maybe, I mean, to be honest, I'm sure, I mean, there would have been Mega Drives on the set of EastEnders, like in various other kind of, because, you know, there were kids and there would have been arcade games. I'm sure she must have played a bit of Sonic or something like that at some point, even if she wasn't very good at it. You know, yeah. she might have still played it. Uh, but speaking of Dean, he's, of course, best known for his role as Robbie Jackson with his with his faithful hound, Wellard, who we discover is not a boy which is fairly standard, actually, for dogs in uh, television, because if you employ a female dog, you don't have to worry about them having bollocks. Yeah, and the only way to find out is if you go around the set and lift up the dinosaur skirts. Uh, life uh, finds a way. But he was on the soap also for numerous stints. He was on there 93 to 2003, 2017 to 2019, with guest appearances in 2004, 2010 and 2015, as well as appearing on the 2006 series of I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here. Dean Gaffney is one of those celebrities. If you have watched a celebrity-based show over the last 20 years, you can almost guarantee he'll have appeared on it somewhere. He's probably been on Celebrity MasterChef. He's probably been on Celebrity Mastermind. Probably been on Celebrity Pointless. Uh, yeah, he, he's just one of those, again, I'm going to use that word, enduring figures. He could have done no other acting roles whatsoever, but he'll always get work because he was Robbie from EastEnders. And when I say work, I mean appearance work. But when I was looking down his Wikipedia, there isn't a lot of other bits of acting to really pick up on. There's like kind of there's coming and going as Robbie Jackson. There's him being fired, him being brought back, him being let go for behaviour both off and on the set. But this one little bit of information caught my eye because it brought my attention to something I didn't know existed. In 1991, Gaffney played the boy, alternating with another actor, in an adaptation of Waiting for Godot. Do you want to take a guess as to who the two actors starring in that production were? I have absolutely no idea. It was Rick and Aid. Really? Now, I've got a soft spot for Waiting for Godot. I've seen a couple of different productions of it. I actually lucked out. I saw the Ian McKellen and Patrick Stewart production, which was, you know, understandably fucking fabulous. And I found some clips on YouTube of Rick and Aid's version. And it is... I, I, it was not the best received. The critics did shit on it a bit because they were just like, oh, stunt casting. Do we need stunt casting in theatre? To which Rick said, if it means a guy with a monocle and a bushy moustache is having to peer around a mohawk in a theatre. Yes, yes, we do need stunt casting. But they weren't overly kind on Rick and Eddie's acting ability. And having seen clips... It is Richie and Eddie in Waiting for Godot. A new interpretation of Samuel Beckett's contemporary classic Waiting for Godot is now running in London's West End. The story of two tramps stuck beneath a tree desperately waiting for someone whose existence they're not sure of. It stars alternative comedians Rick Mayall and Adrian Edmondson in what are perhaps their most difficult roles to date. 
Surely one should hear the tick tick. Silence! I can hear something. Hmm? Where? Ah, it's the heart. Damnation! Silence! Perhaps it's stopped. Which one of you smells, sir? Oh. <laughs> um, well, he has stinking breath, and I have stinking feet. And that got the biggest laugh of the night, but by and large, the critics don't seem to have been impressed by Mail and Edmondson's performances. The Daily Mail says, this is not acting, it's showing off. The Guardian condemns the production as Godo without tears or any real profound sense of pain. For The Independent, it's a mildly entertaining way of wasting two and a half hours. The Times asks, where is their vulnerability, their helplessness and their pain? The Telegraph tempers its criticism with an admission that there is no doubt that Mail and Edmondson are an impressive, if far from endearing, double act. Only the Express approves, saying the two of them are murderously funny. Prove them all wrong at the Queen's Theatre London, because tickets are still available. Now, wait no more, Sally's here. It, there is not a lot of difference in it. In some bits, age is the one that I think shows the most range. But I, I just found it fascinating because I had no idea this, this existed. And I loved that I could find clips of them both acting in it and talking about it on YouTube. So there we go. That was the positive. Uh, now the negative. In June 2013, Gaffney suffered serious head injuries when a car he was travelling in collided with a central reservation on the A38 in Derby. He admitted he had not been wearing his seatbelt and said it could have been a lot worse. One inch down and I would have been blind. One inch up and I would have been brain damaged. Fucking hell, lads. Like, it's not that difficult to put a seatbelt on. Anyway, back in the present time, and by the present time, I mean Christmas 1995, Dom starts with talking to Dean, describing him as a bad lad, bit of a delinquent, and basically showing that at this time, people on some level still thought soap operas were real because they were worried he was going to nick stuff. Yeah, or just sort of playing up to being like, oh, hello, you, are you going to be stealing from me? The stuff with Dean is is grand and everything, but like freaking hell, when we move over to Patsy, like, you know, hey, Dom, you literally got married last week and here you are already flirting with Patsy Palmer. Granted, I suppose later on in the episode, he does also say he's got loads of girlfriends. Um, but it, it bigger this me, is... Bigger me, bigger you. I mean, when we interviewed him, we interviewed Dominic Diamond, by the way, he really thought that his most awkward encounter was with Natalie and Brilliant in Series 4. It's fucking this one, mate. This is a disaster of an interview because this is him openly flirting with her, talking about how pretty she is, what a nice dress she's wearing and everything like this, and she is just not responding to it, and it gets so madly awkward. I got, I was very uncomfortable watching this. See, I still think that Natalie and Brulier is worse because Natalie just didn't have any idea what was going on. I think that Patsy knew what was going on, she just didn't care. Either that or it, she didn't want any part of it, which ultimately I think is worse. Ah, uh, yeah. No, it is absolutely worse. I'm just trying to think back to how it seemed on screen. She, she just seemed like, I mean, throughout the entire challenge, whether she was talking to Dom or not, she just seemed kind of like, as you said, she didn't want to be there. So I don't even think out. it was down to Dom's flirting or stuff like that. It was just a case of this was a contractual obligation that she was regretting for every moment, regardless of what was or wasn't going on. Yeah, she woke up this morning and was like, oh, fuck, I've got to do that today, have I? And, or maybe she was like pretty thrilled to do it and then got down there and found out what they were actually doing. Didn't really fancy this PC challenge much and then had a conversation with Dom where he's like, I'm going to be openly flirting with you and was like, cool, there's one more thing that I've got to do then. It is just like, yeah, for me, this is, I think this is way worse than Natalie and Brulia. 
and it doesn't get better in the episode either. Ugh, yeah, I wasn't keen. No, it doesn't. It doesn't help when Dom asks how many curtains did it take to make her dress. It's, it's a good joke as well. It's a, that's a very solid joke because it sounds like. I'm going to just objectify the thing that you're wearing. And the punchline is, how many curtains did it take to make? He's actually dogging on the the dress that she's wearing. See, I genuinely thought that when he went down that route, that was him just trying to get something. Something out of her. Like, she she politely laughs at his jokes, um, which I almost think is actually worse than just not reacting. We've heard from our celebrities now. Let's go over to Dominic Diamond, who's going to tell us about the first half of this challenge. The first thing our two competitors will have to do is assemble their computers. We've made it easy for them, and the computers we've given them come with the base unit and monitors already connected. They've just got to connect the mouse in here, and the keyboard in here, and plug the computer in. Hey presto, stage one completed, and they'll be ready to load the game, and that's where the problems will really start. And as far as we can see that the opening of the challenge should be relatively easy because the monitor and the base are already connected. It's just hooking up the keyboard and the mouse. And then we get to the problem of installing the game. That's where they're going to really hit some troubles. See, I felt genuinely cheated by this because I'm like, oh, you got them an all in one, you cheap bastards. Give them a real challenge. Don't mess around with memory requirements. Just get them to work out the right way to plug a monitor cable in. Well, it's the, you know, nice little deal with Compaq, it would seem. Uh, it's true. This is not the first time we've seen Compaq on Games Master as being the bastions of gaming PCs. So so you got the unboxing and the very basic cabling, which they do both still manage to bodge fairly well. However, even once they've unboxed and plugged things in, that is only the first half of the challenge. And it's the second half where Dom thinks problems will really begin. Okay, so Dean and Patsy, these are your PCs. This is the game. We need you to get them all up and running. I would ask you at this point, could you put on those lovely gold earmuffs? Because we will be divulging certain information throughout the show and we wouldn't want you to hear it. Because that would be cheating and cheats never prosper. Remember that at home, kids. Okay, then, if you'd like to get started then, if you can hear me under the earmuffs. Three, two, one, off you go. Now, from now till the end of the show, then, to get the PC up and running and get Mech Warrior 2 to work. It's the top selling PC in Britain and one of the top selling games as well. And help me out doing this and uh, maybe lending little bits of advice to Dean and, uh, and Patsy if they really do need it. He's a man who spent most of his life wrapped tightly in cables, Kirk doing. Kirk, what's going to be the first problem they're going to have? Well, first problem they have, and actually they've done very well. I expect them to have some problem with the, the sticky tape around the boxes there because they do use industrial strength tape in these yeah. computers. Uh, but they've done very well on that. I would say follow the instructions, use your wits, and pray to the twin gods of Intel and Bill Gates for some inspiration there. We have Kirk Ewing doing the presentation for this, or the, the co-commentary for this, because of course it's Kirk Ewing doing this one. It's a big old joke. Um, although he is wearing a very nice hoodie slash cardigan combo. It looks very, very comfy. He does look very, very comfortable. Certainly more comfortable than Patsy. <laughs> Listen, what I like about Kirk being on Games Master is that, God, this was a period of time where it's like, you didn't need to have any TV experience and you could get put on TV. You just need to know the right people. You didn't have to dress for the, you didn't have to dress for the job. You just wear whatever you're doing. Don't practice anything. Don't rehearse anything. Just show up and we'll put it out on Tea Time on Channel 4. What a wonderful channel Channel 4 is. Mate, we were born too late. I know, exactly. <laughs> oh, fucking WrestleTalk would have been on TV. If we would have done that in the 90s, we'd have been on telly. Yeah, it would have been Channel 4. We'd, it would have been perfect for it. We'd gone right after Euro Trash. Oh, yeah, if, if we were lucky. If we were lucky to get such a prestigious slot. Diamondism. <laughs> 
I do like that they're playing Mission Impossible music under this, though, because the, the task is called PC Impossible. But the Mission Impossible music underneath I thought was quite charming. Although, just for copyright reasons, some off-brand Mission Impossible music, very important to say. Yeah, this is the ice ice baby of Mission Impossible music. But we see the gaming arena, which has two boxed compacts and a game and some ear defenders so they can't hear any comments that Kirk or Dom may be saying. Although how well those ear defenders are working, I don't think they're working that well at all. I was going to say, not not only that, but like Dom and Kirk are not saying anything helpful to them. Uh, No, they're not actually. Certainly not (laughs) on the bits that made it to screen. Kirk's Kirk's advice here at the start is like, well, I'm amazed they got through the sticky tape at the start. I thought that would really bamboozle them. I mean, it was very sticky, sticky tape. But we also see the game they're going to be playing. It is a fairly popular title of the time, MechWarrior 2. Yeah, it's listed on most documents. Like when you look at challenges for Games Master, this is listed as the actual challenge that they play MechWarrior 2, but we don't get that far. No, that, that would have been if they'd got it done in 10 minutes. They'd have gone, oh, sh- I suppose we better get them playing MechWarrior. First up, living testament that in spite of tabloid scaremongering, fighting is good for you with Criticom on the PlayStation. It uses the same 3D aspects that Tashinden uses where you can roll out of the way, you can zoom in and out of the screen, not just like any old 2D beat-em-up, but it moves very sluggish indeed. The gameplay seems like you're just controlling two lumps of rock at times. In Criticom, you get to play with eight different characters, and the way it operates is you have to beat each character and a boss to progress through the ranks. There are three ranks in all. I enjoy it, and if you enjoy a good 3D beat-em-up, I think you will be impressed. To be honest, they would play with a dead cat if it had the words beat-em-up written on it. I don't think Criticom is as good as Tashinden or Tekken, and for that reason alone, I wouldn't buy it. Craig, you'd think just a few days before Christmas that there would be some bigger games reviewed here. Like, we've had some absolute stonkers over the last few weeks, some really... Actually, throughout Series 5, it feels like every week it's banger after banger after banger, or notable release after notable release. Our first... Our two that we have here... Not really a whole lot to say about them. Criticom is our first game, and, you know, it's got 3D effects like Toshinden, but Rick's really not on board for this. And as he highlights later on in the review, the only reason that Dave Perry likes this is because Dave Perry likes beat-em-ups, and he will basically play any beat-em-up that's put in front of him. Maybe he'll write a book about it one day. Maybe, maybe. But this game came up, and I immediately had to go to Google because I'm like... I do not remember this no, game at absolutely all. Absolutely not. Looking how it was received critically, I understand why I didn't oh, know anything absolutely. about this game at all. And the story behind this game is more interesting than the game itself. Because originally, this game was a licensed property. It was a comic book. Yes. And all the way through the notes on the internet, most of them just go, it had a comic book license. No one says what comic book license it was. However, it was a license held by Sony, which they then issued to Kronos Digital um, to work on this game. Sony then retrieved the license and gave it to another of their subsidiaries in Europe to work on a different game. And Kronos basically went, oh, well, we'll just create new characters and shop the game around and see if we can get it out that way. Victor K approached them and agreed to publish the title, provided they could have it out by Christmas of that year. 
which was exciting but terrifying because they didn't have a single PlayStation dev kit to hand. Yeah, this is a classic example of it's got to be out by Christmas, so we have to hit these deadlines and uh, quality be damned, we need it out by this thing. So, you know, like they didn't have a PlayStation dev kit and only six months or like less than six months to, to get this sorted. And shock horror, what comes out the back of that is something that isn't very good. No, apparently they did repeatedly explain to their contact at VicTok that, you know, we can't create this brand new game on a brand new platform in less than six months. They were adamant. They were totally sure of this. And then they were shown the contract and the check. And at that point they went, yeah, we can make this game in six months. It doesn't matter if it's Bobbins, we get paid for this. On the subject of the comic book license, I'm going to read this little entry out from another game. Development on the game began in early 1995. The game's original format was scrapped in 1996 so that it could be redesigned in the same 3D maze style as the popular Tomb Raider, leading to the development cycle being stretched out to two years. A release date was announced for August 1997 to be released around the same time the Spawn film was released in theatres. Given the time frame and the fact they almost line up and that the Spawn game was published by Sony Computer Entertainment, I reckon that that fighting game was originally Spawn. I think this was supposed to be a Spawn fighting game. 100% this was supposed to be Spawn. Thank Christ it isn't. (laughs) But despite Dave kind of like bigging up this game, oh, 72%, it drops definitively below our standard 75% line. Yeah, and I think this is... I don't know if, like, Dave is bigging it up. It is more of a case of, I think Dave just really likes beat-em-ups. It's what Rick said. Rick's like, he would enjoy playing with a dead cat if it was called a beat-em-up. And, like, that is probably what they always say about Dave, like, behind his back or anything like that. Or probably to his face. Oh, you only like this because it's a beat-em-up. Yeah, you're right. 72%. That is not a recommendation here, like, you know, a few days out before Christmas. Next up, High Octane on the Saturn. It looks like Wipeout, it tastes like Wipeout, but does it smell like poo? High Octane is space race extravaganza, very much in the same mould as Wipeout. It has cars of the hover variety, and it has tracks that you race around. And seeing as Wipeout isn't going to be out on the Saturn for some time, it's worth having a look at High Octane. High Octane can be played from four different viewpoints, and there are nine different tracks in all in the game. Also, unlike Wipeout, there's a two-player split-screen mode, so you only need one copy of the game and one Saturn to play. This has got to be good news for console players. And no, if you're watching the video version of this, this is not Wipeout on the Saturn, which, you know, we had the news of that a little while back. The Wipeout is heading to the Sega Saturn. This is not that game. It wants to be that game, but it is not quite that game. No, this game has actually got more in common with Magic Carpet on account of the fact that it's by Bullfrog and basically uses the Magic Carpet gaming code. Now, they claim that it was developed just independently of Wipeout and was no influence, but mm, mm, yeah. I don't know. Jimmy Hill, mate. Well, speaking of Jimmy Hills, it does involve Peter Molyneux, that well-known <laughs> yeah. bastion of truth in video gaming. 
And he has stated that in May of 1995, EA had Bullfrog under pressure to release Dungeon Keeper in six and a half weeks. And he's like, well, because I wasn't prepared to sacrifice Dungeon Keeper, I wrote and designed a game from scratch in six weeks. And that game was High Octane. Meanwhile, the game's credit shows that it was developed by a team of 18 people. That is pure Molyneux. From start to end of a thing, that is pure Molyneux. The producer of the game, Sean Cooper, sees it slightly differently, stating the game was developed really? in... I am shocked beyond all belief. Someone else might have a different view on history than Peter fucking Molyneux. Uh, well, the producer, Sean Cooper, said that the game was developed in eight weeks as a way to fill a quarter that didn't have enough revenue. And due to time constraints, all the vehicles are actually the same speed, despite what their stats say in the game. That proper made me laugh when I read that on the Wikipedia page. That really made me laugh as a quote. Because this is just, I, I don't buy the argument that like, oh yeah, yeah, Wipeout, you know, it just is a complete coincidence that they look exactly the fucking same. Um, and it was, you know, developed in eight weeks or, you know, whatever it was. It was a really tight, quick turnaround. But yeah, just the idea of like, it's so half-assed that every single car is exactly the same, which makes the game utterly point ultimately pointless. And really like, the, you know, what they're saying in the review here is that like, you may as well buy this now because Wipeout won't be out for a little while. Like this is essentially like spend 50 quid on a holdover until the actual Wipeout comes out. This is go on the teacups because Nemesis has got a five hour queue. That's exactly it. Like, I mean, you could just wait around. But if you really, really need to play a Wipeout-like game right now, I guess it's this one. I will say, actually, no, having, having said that, Dave does raise the very good point, though, that at least this does have two-player local multiplayer. This You don't have to have two PlayStations. You don't have to have two TVs and two copies of the game. You can just play this head-to-head on one car, on one CD. So that, that, is, that is a benefit. And I think that does then reflect in the 81% score. I think without that, this would have also been in the 70s, maybe mid. Okay, so far, Passive Palmer and Dean Gaffney are doing quite well. They've both got power on. Who got, actually got power on first, Kirk? Dean actually got power on first, but uh, after a bit of just sort of basically forcing any cable into any hole at the back, he realised that something was not happening with his keyboard. So he switched the computer off and he's restarted it again. Patsy did extremely well, seems to get everything plugged up, but somehow Patsy hasn't made it into Windows, which is a bit of a disappointment, whereas Dean is full-on Windows heavy. Yeah, I, I like how Kirk wants to say pain in the ass, but doesn't know, because he's not a trained professional, doesn't know what to say next, so Dom has to be like, a pain in the posterior. It's like, yeah, that'll do, that That works for me. That's a better word than ass. Damn it! <laughs> poor old Dean Gavnier having issues plugging the mouse in, it would seem. Oh no, his first problem is plugging the, the power lead in, which is really worrying because it's the same connector you get on a kettle, which me, really makes me never want to have a cup of tea around his gaff. Well, maybe it's just because he thought, well, this is the same connector as a kettle. That can't be the same thing that powers a PC. I, I, I can't give, my, give him that much credit. <laughs> yeah. But that is, that's the end of the first half of this episode. Much like Virtual Pool, a sharp eight minutes half there. Very, very short, very compact. Very compact, if you will. Hey. But I do want to say that one of our last shots we get before we go into the commercials had me howling at the screen because we've you know we've gone to see what they're doing we've seen that like highlights of them plugging cables in gripping stuff and that's when we get the pain in the posterior moment and as we get ready to go to the commercials we cut back to our two challengers and dean 
is almost doing the Scotty in Star Trek 4 thing. He has the mouse and he's just shaking it. He is half a moment away from going, hello, computer. So we're going to leave them cracking at this uh, and we're going to take a short break. Coming up, we're going to see if they're going to finally manage to get this game loaded before the end of the show. All this coming up after the break. Christmas, there's a mouth-watering half-price sale, and for a limited period only, there's an extra 10% off. Magnet. Food for thought. The Braun Oral-B plaque remover is clinically proven to clean better than a manual toothbrush. Its oscillating cup-shaped brush head helps remove plaque from deep between the teeth and below the gum line, leaving your teeth so clean you can feel it. Just ask your dentist about plaque removal. The Braun Oral-B Plaque Remover. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact? You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. The secret to visibly firmer, summer-ready skin is here. Osea's number one best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil. Clinically proven to instantly improve skin elasticity and transform dull, dry skin to silky, soft, and unbelievably glowing. Rich yet never greasy, Andaria Algae Body Oil is formulated with sustainably sourced seaweed to help replenish the skin's moisture barrier and seven nourishing active botanical oils for results you can see and feel all over. The best part? It's signature scent. A blend of freshly squeezed grapefruit, cypress, and mango mandarin transports you to sun-kissed summer days. This all-natural scent is unforgettable. Everything Osea makes is clean, vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Get healthy, glowing skin for summer with clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A malibu.com code GLOW. Duracell, with its unique titanium technology, lasts much longer than ordinary zinc batteries. Duracell, with unique titanium technology. 
get a huge discount at Lampoli or choose 12 months to pay. It's called Easy Pay. Easy Pay? Get away. What if you found you had a passion and then you realized you weren't alone? What if this turtle freak were to seriously propose a turtle theft? If you have any plan, I would like to come in with you. Here's to our friends. Yes. Turtle Diary, Christmas Day at 7 on Channel 4. Welcome back. We have two young soap stars with us today. Dean Gaffney and the ravishingly attractive Pansy Farmer. They're taking part in PC Impossible, an event where they have to put a PC together and get the game to run on it before the end of the show. And they're struggling. We come back from the ad break and it's essentially just on recapping the opening challenge and, and what, everything that we saw in the first half of the episodes. And we do briefly look in on our celebrities who are, to put it mildly, struggling. But Patsy does have the game box open. The wrong end, but she has the game box open. Uh, well, let's head on over to Games Master and have an actual proper challenge. What are we playing, Games Master? For today's challenge, I've selected the Doom-style PC shoot-em-up, Duke Nukem. Each of our three contestants must make their way to the end of the level and blow up the cancer they'll find there, with the player who does this in the fastest time taking the golden joystick. All is not as simple as it looks, though, as contestants must avoid not only the robot adversaries they'll encounter on the way, but also a number of lurking laser beams that will fry them instantly if they stray into their path. Fucking A, man. Duke Nukem 3D. Love the fact that we've reached this in our timeline. Big, big fan of Duke Nukem. I, you know, we were a Doom household, uh, the Owens. We bloody loved playing Doom. Uh, and then Duke Nukem was this game that was just like, oh my God, it's Doom, but it's dirty. Like it's it's got tits in it and it's got like swearing in it and it's got like, you know, violence in it. There's strippers in it. You can have a Wii in it. And it was just this sort of like fabled game that you talked about. Like it was this hallowed thing you talked about in the schoolyard. I'd be like, oh my God, have you heard of Duke Nukem? But I would say as well, no one ever, no one that I knew ever called it Duke Nukem 3D. Only ever just called it Duke Nukem. And it was just this sort of fascinating, like, you know, period of time where we like, I remember playing Duke Nukem for the first time. And, you know, it's only till years later that you watch They Live and you're like, Oh, that's where a lot of Duke Nukem stuff comes from. Like almost all of it. Yeah, like, exactly. it, it's a complete. If they could have got Roddy Piper in to voice Duke Nukem and actually just made Duke look like Roddy Piper, I reckon they would have. But I, it is colloquially and just commonly known as Duke Nukem, but it is the third game. There were two platform games that preceded it, but this was the day of early PC gaming, shareware, floppy disks. Duke Nukem and Duke Nukem 2 were platformers, and I remember playing, I think, the first or the second, although I think I occasionally get them confused with Commander Keen, but I know I've played the first two. They and were it's... games that were, like, for me and, like, some of my friends, and actually, you know, it's something that you you discovered much, much later in life that there were other Duke Nukem games. And then they are very bizarre to sort of go back and look at because you're so you've so used to seeing Duke Nukem in a certain way. And then yeah, to go back and say like, oh wow, there was this sort of platforming things. And you're right, like you know, you made the comparison there to sort of like Commander Keenan and, and things like that. It's the same guys, but 
yeah it's just it was it's sort of very fascinating to see because i i for me in my lifetime this was the first game for duke nukem and really yeah. it felt like, felt like the only game for a long time you go back and look at the old platformers and you're like where are the tits why can't <laughs> i urinate on things what is going on this is a proper duke nukem but and i think this is kind of exciting the shareware version of this game is out january 29th 1996 we are more than a month ahead of its launch and what to me as a big old fucking nerd is really exciting is this version is actually a prototype featuring a level that never appeared in the eventual game best as can be told this is a prototype from around may 1995 and you look at it compared to the final duke shareware the hud is different yep the graphics are different some of the oh, yeah. enemies look slightly different that's exactly it right and this level is known as ahb space yeah that's it like when you watch this i was really excited for this duke nukem challenge and then they started playing it and my first note was like this doesn't look like duke nukem and then yeah you're sort of doing some digging around and stuff and it is yeah this this is early early prototype version of the game which i is so so cool wild that that it that it's here but yeah very very interesting that this is the challenge that we get and it then makes sense as to why the challenge ends up being the way that it is when we get to it but if you go back and you look on the internet now there are ton- there is tons of information out there about the history of duke nukem 3d about all the different betas and early builds it was developed on a budget of about three hundred thousand dollars a team that fluctuated between eight and kind of 15 people at one point it was going to allow a third person view and fixed camera angles and if you look at some of the early demo footage you can see that playing out there but then they went back to first person and stuck with that and one of the key things that came in, and I think one of the reasons why we ended up with it becoming such a massive hit, is it was the first of these games to give us contemporary real-world settings, albeit um, adult theatres, strip clubs and bookstores. Because Doom, Space, Slash Hell, Wolfenstein 3D, Nazis. This was a case of anywhere you could have found in New York pre-Rudy Giuliani. This was kind of 42nd Street before it became sanitized. I think that says, speaks to the fact that there is a guy on Twitter who's become kind of Twitter famous because he is creating London, almost like beat for beat London using the Duke Nukem engine because it's the best thing to use to kind of create like a real world atmosphere. Um, and it is like if, if you need to find it, I, I can't remember the, the lad's name, unfortunately. Um, if I do remember, I'll edit. I'll add it into the edit here. But you should go and check out the stuff because the videos of him just walking around London and shooting up at Greg's is absolutely hilarious. In the game. In the game, yes. Yeah, not not actually just going and going. No steak bakes, mothers. But yeah, absolutely love Duke Nukem. I've owned it on multiple platforms. Uh, I've got it on the Switch, even as we speak. And uh, I will hold up my hand and say that I did get Duke Nukem Forever. You know, a lot of people did. You know, I we... completed it out of spite. <laughs> it, it was kind of important for us to to kind of do the, the Chinese democracy of video games and be as disappointing as Chinese democracy was as well. I mean, like Scott Miller, the guy who was you know heavily behind Duke Nukem, is a, a very important guy as well because he also you know he leaves ID and he goes on to form Apogee and and this and the other and the 3D realms, and you know he eventually will create Max Payne for us as well and i tried as hard as i could to get him to do an interview for the book and i just couldn't because i wanted him to speak on the max Payne chapter and just 
could not get it like nail him down to do it but the guy that you know i did do the producer of uh, max Payne speaks very very highly of him and he was working heavily with scott miller to do the duke nukem movie adaptation because he got max Payne, and he was like well we can also do duke nukem and the duke nukem film i don't think we'll ever get it i think it is the duke nukem forever of video game movie adaptations um I, I think as it currently stands the rock is in the lead role and if the rock is behind it then maybe it'll get done but the rock has also got 30 odd movies in some form of development so you know it, it took him what 12 years to get black adam done so maybe in another 10 years time we'll get the rock as duke nukem but i think by that point the duke nukem boat I, I feel like the Duke Nukem boat has already sailed. The only way I can see a Duke Nukem movie working today is one of two ways. It's done fully ironic as an 80s saturated grindhouse type movie. So basically going, look, we know it's horrifically outdated, but like Grindhouse, like Planet Terror, we're going to play it as straight as we possibly can. And the other is, is kind of doing some kind of either time travel, frozen in time, or, or even just kind of like leaving a video game and coming to the real world thing where Duke Nukem is there and he has to suddenly exist in the real world with real world physics and consequences to, quite frankly, being a colossal, sexist, misogynistic piece of crap. Last action hero with Duke Nukem. Yeah, I think that's a really good shout, actually. I really like that as a pitch. Um, yeah, I mean, we could talk, we could send here for ages talking about, you know, all the controversy surrounding the game and stuff, but let's meet our players for this challenge. And making a desperate bid for glory on Duke Nukem, we have Julian Luton, Michael Traquair and Samia Agarwal. Okay, right, uh, a lot of people are under the misapprehension that people who play video games don't have girlfriends, of course, I've got a fantastic amount. And Julian, you've got a girlfriend as well, yeah? Almost. Almost? Oh, she's in China. Right, so how long have you been there for? Knocking on a year. Have you been over there to see her? Nope. Um, written a few letters. Yeah. How many? Four. Four letters in a year? Yeah. I reckon you're going to split up, I see, when she comes back. Oh, thanks, Dominic. That's right. I try to, like, settle the contestants before they play. Because uh, you've actually been dumped, haven't you, Michael? Oh, by your yeah, girlfriend, just. Thanks for me about her. Yeah, uh, why was that? Um, well, I went out with me mates and told her I was staying in and watching Emmerdale Farm. And uh, she was in the club I was in and uh, she weren't too happy. So she dumped you? Uh, yeah. Because you're watching Emmerdale Farm, probably. Yeah. Uh, and finally, Samir, you don't have a girlfriend at all. Which is uh, surprising because you're quite a fantastically dressed young man, I have to say. What do you look for in a woman then, Samir? Anything. Anything at all. <laughs> a man after my own kind of thinking. Okay, right, uh, Michael, you're going to go first because we suspect you might be rubbish at this, actually. Look, I, I, I feel like... I feel like I'm becoming the real negative Nancy of this podcast. And I don't like to be that guy. I do enjoy doing this show and I do enjoy watching this show. I do. I hope people listening to this do realize that. But I am a bit done with Dom's shtick about girlfriends now and asking people about their girlfriends because what we end up with is the same jokes every single time. And I'm, I'm kind of done with it now. Uh, I would agree. I actually thought this was one of the fresher ones uh, because he actually was given a little bit more to work with. Um, because he turns to Julian, who says, "You've almost got a girlfriend, haven't you?" And Julian's like, "Well, yeah, she's in China, but we write letters to each other. How many? Four. <laughs> it's, it's, ador it's adorable that they're letters, though. But it would be, wouldn't it? We're yeah. still not quite there for email. That's what I mean. That's why I think it's so adorable. It's lovely. And Dom, the old romantic that he is, is like, "Oh, she'll break up with you when she gets back." Whereas Michael has just been dumped because he lied to his girlfriend like an absolute prick and got caught out for it. Yeah, he said he was watching Emmerdale when he actually went out clubbing with his mates. 
and turned up at the same club that she was already at, which is just like, mate, if you're going to do that kind of thing, one, don't. But if you're going to do that kind of thing, don't go to a club that you might have an inkling she might go to or go out of town, you know, or yeah, just don't. Or I, just watch Emmerdale. I, I don't know if I believe this story. It's so incredibly stupid and teenagerish that I actually believe it. I'm basically like, that is so utterly such a stupid 90s lad thing to do. I believe it. Maybe it is so shit it may be true. But yeah, I, I, I struggle to believe it. Sumi is the hero of this. A little Aggie. Little adorable, nervous Aggie. He is the he hero. He looks great. He's a snappy dresser. He's a snappy dressed lad. He is happy to be there. He is excited to play this game. He is my kind of Games Master contestant. And what is he looking for in a woman, Luke? Absolutely anything. (laughs) A pulse. Yeah, Tom's kind of guy. The bit that did make me laugh in this is when Tom said, Michael, I think you'll go first because I suspect you'll be really rubbish at it. But not the worst. But we'll get to that in a little bit. And the biggest news of the moment is our competition. So grab a pen and paper now. Yes, to celebrate next week's Christmas special, featuring a look back over five series of Games Master, we're giving away five Sony Playstations and five Sega Saturns, each with the three biggest games on that system. The Saturns come with Virtua Fighter 2, Sega Rally, and Virtua Cop with the gun, while the Playstations will be accompanied by Tekken, Doom, and Ridge Racer. I mean, Dom says that we're cutting over to the news here now, but there's no news to be had here. It's just actually the competition that we referenced last week, which is here to celebrate five seasons, but not the third one, of Games Master with two wicked prizes here, which is five Saturns that come with Virtual Fighter 2, Sega Rally, and Virtual Cop with Gun, and five PlayStations that come with Tekken, Doom, and Ridge Racer. Now, Ash, you teed us up last week when you said we should have a discussion here which of the two prizes would you rather win? So I'm going to ask you first, of those two options, which is the one you're going for? It's a real tough one because, I mean, I, I don't get on with Virtua Fighter. Maybe I would have get on with, maybe I would get on with Virtua Fighter if I'd had it back in 1995. Maybe that's what I was missing is like the decent amount of exposure. Plus, you know, Sega Rally, it's a really good game. It's a very, very good game. And Virtua Cop comes with a gun. You get that peripheral with it. Yeah, you get that peripheral, that kind of arcade experience. Bit of money, that. And then the PlayStation. I mean, Tekken, brilliant. Great. Love it. Ridge Racer, brilliant. Love it. But I think Sega Rally is a slightly more complete game. Ridge Racer, at least the first, is quite limited. That's what I feel like. Ridge Racer, for me, is the albatross around this PlayStation prize. Like, I wanted it to be a more current release for it. Like, if it was Wipeout... I think it would be slightly more appealing, but Ridge Racer feels almost too old school on the PlayStation. There was quite a length of time in my notes where I was going, I'd go for the Saturn. I'd really, really go for the Saturn. But you know what it was that eventually made me go, no, I'd want the PlayStation? Probably the same reason that I would want the PlayStation pack as well. Doom. (laughs) Doom, mate. That's what I'm after. Like, love Tekken. Ridge Racer, I think, is a solid game. I love being a bit of Ridge Racer. But Doom is where it's at. For me, I would totally want Doom. I think there is much more last ability to uh, to steal a phrase from a, from Games Master Magazine when it comes to the PlayStation pack than there is on the Saturn one. Because I think even with Virtual Cop, once you played through it, is there really all that replayability to it? I suppose you know you get your mates around and that, but I think plus the target mode and stuff like that. Yeah, as in a way, but I think for the PlayStation one, there's much there's more to dive into there with Tekken, Doom, and Ridge Racer. 
Maybe not Ridge Racer, but certainly Tekken and Doom. And you could trade Ridge Racer in and get Wipeout. Great shout. Absolutely, yeah. Take that down to your local um, third-party seller, and that, that's a good shout, actually. To win one of these fantastic prizes, you'll need to enter the mind of Dominic Diamond and guess what is my favourite game of all time. To make life a bit easier for stupid people, we've hidden my number one game amongst five of my general favourites. We kick off with Championship Manager 2. Is this my Glasgow Celtic of games? Next up is Wipeout. I've said it was my favourite console game this year, but was I lying? If Super Bomberman 3 has wasted far more of my time than is strictly healthy, could this be my number one? You know I like women and football, but is sensible soccer the ultimate love of my life? That's a lovely pass. Then again, I do like a fight and I'm quite hard when I take off my glasses. Has Virtual Fighter beaten up the rest of them to become numero uno? We'll pick 10 people at random who guessed my favourite game and they'll win either a PlayStation or a Saturn with three games. To enter the competition, simply call 0891 114400 and follow the instructions. Calls will cost you no more than 39p, but you've got to get permission from the bloke who pays the bill. The competition closes at midnight tonight and the answers and winners will be announced in a couple of weeks. In case you're thick, we'll give you the number again at the end of the show. But our question is, and we, we said this last week, if you have been listening to this podcast from the very start or you were watching Games Master at the time, this should be a very easy one to guess. What is Dom's favourite game of all time? Is it Championship Manager 2? Is it Wipeout? Is it Super Bomberman 3? Is it Virtua Fighter? He got it right. He got it on the singular. He did on that time, yeah. Or is it Sensible? It's Sensible <laughs> it, Soccer. It's, it's Sensible Soccer. Sensible Soccer is the answer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's got, it, it's got to be Sensible Soccer because why wouldn't it be? Yeah, I mean, when you look at those lists as well, one of these things is not like the other but Dominic Diamond bloody loves sensible soccer and hasn't shut up about it since we started doing this podcast, basically. Still talking about it now? It was in his last Guardian column. I know. It's because it's 100% sensey. Like, there's no other option here. It's And it sticks out like a sore thumb in the, these five options as well because everything else is new. But sensey is staying there being like, hello, I'm a relic from the past. <laughs> it's like, it's probably that one though, isn't it? Do you have an Amiga still? Great. <laughs> Tom does. It's a great choice though. Like oh, yeah, if 100%. I was to pick if I was to pick from those five, it would probably be between Sensi and Wipeout. But when it comes to playing games with your mates, it's gotta be Sensi. Yeah, I mean, I think of those options, I'm picking Sensi as well. If it was 96, 97 chat manager, then maybe I would be swayed, but yeah, Sensible Soccer is the game there. Yeah, I could play Sensible Soccer with my mates, or I could get Champ Manager and just sit by myself in a bedroom and put on a suit sometimes. You can play two-player champ manager. And and I used to do it a lot. Did you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, me and my mates used to play two-player champ manager all the time. How does that work? A lot of sitting around and waiting. Is it like my GM mode, watching watching you and Pete? It's exactly like my GM mode, in fact. But did you have a better understanding of the game mechanics of Champ Manager? I could actually play Champ Manager too, and I know what I was doing. I could take Rochdale from the third division up to the Premier League on Champ Manager 96-97. I can't book anything on my GM mode to save my life. You you, you booked Rochdale in tables, ladders and chairs <laughs> matches. <laughs> and you know what? You've got to be quick on this competition as well, because you've got to phone up. But Ash, it closes tonight. 
Like, you've got no time on this whatsoever. Yeah, I know. It is a case of if you taped this to watch the next day, if you were visiting, if you were doing a quick post-school shopping run or you had to stay around a friend's house so Christmas presents could be wrapped and you didn't see Games Master, you're fucked, really. If you headed to Granny's early for Christmas, but you taped Games Masters, you could watch it when you got back and you wanted to enter that competition, tough luck, mate. I mean, 21st, some schools were still in session 21st. You could be at the school disco. You could miss this because of the school disco. Could be uh, watching Emmerdale Farm or at least lying about it. I'd rather lie about it, I think. <laughs> yeah. And I'm not a liar, but I'm just like, Emmerdale. I mean, even though Emmerdale did at times have former Doctor Who companions in it. Michael, Julian, and Samir are about to play Duke Nukem on the PC. And PC review boy Rick Henderson has helped me out. Rick, what's the toughest thing about this challenge? Well, generally, they can just rush through the level. They've got to get to the end as fast as possible. But occasionally they'll meet little red lines, they're lasers, and they've got to slow it down slightly, duck or jump over them, or they'll get a nasty scar on the midriff. And you don't want that, Rick? No, you don't want that. At all. We've got Rick Henderson in the booth to provide us with his expert commentary, which is to repeat, essentially, what Games Master had said earlier, which is reminding you about those tricky lasers. Because you've got three of these to get past. You've got two at the start. One of The first one you have to duck underneath. The second one you have to jump over. It is you might say, an escalation of doom. Hey. Ever so, it comes up in all three of our challenges as well. Because Michael is up first, and quite rightly so, ignores the baddies in the first half. He also gets past the first two lasers, and he then kills the baddies in the second half of the level because, as Rick says on commentary, there's every chance that they will push you into the lasers. And the lasers is an insta-death thing as well. So he kills those guys, but then does get hit by the laser. He kind of walks into a little bit or mistimes his jump, and he only lasts 39 seconds and is somehow not the worst player here. Yep, because up next is almost girlfriend having Julian, who gets started, ducks under the first tripwire, and then walks into the next one, dead at 12 seconds. And off goes Julian once again, a health of the skin. Here's the first two lasers here, What's he got to do? Yeah, he's actually got to duck under the first laser and jump over the second one. What Michael did is he did this part absolutely perfectly, but he did... Oh, no, oh, I'm no. sorry, I have to drop you there because after only 12 seconds, Julian has completely blown it. He's going to make way for Samir. Rubbish it was. Next. <laughs> now, do you... Uh, I'm curious as a man who, you know, you built your own PC. You're a man who knows a lot of these things as well. You know way more about this sort of thing than I do. Uh, Rick starts talking about here that the thing that may be tripping up or may have tripped up Julian and Mike, is that this game is running very, very fast, or much faster than games they are used to playing or have played at home, because this is running on a Pentium. Uh, um, um, hmm. See, I wasn't sure if he was referring to it at home or referring to the practice PC they'd have had in the green room. Would the green room PC have been a Pentium or would it have been a 486? Because it's like frame rates. I mean, even now you still get that, where a game will run more smoothly on some systems and others, or it can be PCs of different qualities, different builds and whatnot. But clock speeds can make games run faster. You particularly see it with emulation, actually. Uh, some games, if you if you play around with emulation and stuff, you can kind of like overclock the, the software and make the game run faster. And in fact, some games don't run properly because of that, even under default state. So I would say there is an element of truth, but what Rick says mainly falls into my theory that this is a publicity piece for Windows 95 and Intel. Uh, I was actually watching a speedrun before we started recording this. I was watching it this morning of uh, a guy playing Castlevania, two 
games of Castlevania at the same time. Two two games of Castlevania Symphony of the Night at the same time with one controller, um, both of which were randomized as well. And the biggest issue he came into was not just the fact that it's randomized and you've got to try and pick the route that you're taking so that you can complete both games. It was actually dealing with the different frame rates that both were running through on OBS. That was the biggest issue that he had. And at one point he was just like, this would have just been easier if I'd done this with the actual hardware as opposed to trying to emulate just two copies of the game. Yeah, I mean, you either emulate two, if you emulate two copies, emulate two copies on two different systems. Yeah. Because at least then you can share configuration between the two and you're not going to be having conflicting IOs and all that kind of gubbins that comes with still owning a PC. Anyway, Aggie is has practiced this a lot in the green room, Pentium or not, and he absolutely smegging nails it. Like when you kind of watch back with Julian, he was very, very edgy trying to get under those lasers and jump over the lasers. Aggie, poof, straight over, straight under. He absolutely nails it and gets the whole thing done in 43 seconds, even though he completely biffs the end of it because he just throws grenades at himself. But he still completes the challenge, 43 seconds on the clock, nailed it. Yeah, made it look easy. Although I did notice when he got to that last tripwire, he made it past the kind of trip laser, but it went off. When he turned around and he had to go back and get the pipe bombs, it was gone. So either oh. he did just catch it, but was far enough forward that it didn't insta-kill him, or a baddie walked through and got blown up. But he, d- I think he took some damage there. He definitely took some damage. But yeah, I he, he gets the pipe bombs and immediately almost just blows himself up. I would have howled with laughter if he'd actually done that. He got too excited that he'd made it to that point and just forgot how to complete the how to complete the level or at least complete this challenge. Very, very funny. Well listen, we spent a lot of money getting all you guys in and Julian, you completely trousered that one. Excuse please. Well, some of us win computer games and some of us have beautiful girls in fluff on corners of the globe. What can I say? At the moment you do. Until she comes back. Anyway, Julian. Uh, Michael as well, you did actually better than we thought you were going to do, but still pretty poor. Yeah, I was doing alright until I started thinking of my girlfriend again, Dominic, and I just, I just went to pieces. Okay, finally, uh, Samir. You can call me Aggie. I can call you Aggie? Yeah, that's what everyone calls me. Well, uh, technically I can call you whatever I like, because it is my show. Uh, But I will call you Aggie as you like, seeing as you have one. But we get into the post-match, and Julian and Michael are basically just talking about how the fact that they failed because they've got girlfriends and that's all that matters. Well, no, I mean, Michael's like, I was thinking about my ex-girlfriend. He was mourning the loss of a girlfriend. But at least, but at least he's had one. He's, he's had a girlfriend. Julian's just like, well, you know, some people are good at playing games. Others have beautiful girlfriends in far-flung corners of the world. To which Dom replies, only until she comes back. <laughs> which I thought was a very, very good fwap. Well, that's why Aggie's my boy. That's why Aggie is the hero of these, because fuck these other two lads. Aggie is just here to be like, He'd be not, like, and it, he doesn't even really get to talk about his challenge at all because he just says, "Call me Aggie." Everyone else does, and Tom replies to him, "Was like, I'll call you whatever I want. This is my show." And then just says, "And here's a joystick." As you won, I will call you Aggie, but don't you go telling me what I can t- call you. I'll decide. I'm Mr. Johnny Big Bollock, Scottish bloke. Uh, I, 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 I enjoyed it as a challenge, certainly as a curio, because it is, you know, a, a beta version of Duke Nukem 3D. I kind of wish we'd had a full version of Duke Nukem 3D, like an actual full challenge on it with the, the full game. But it's an interesting curio. Um, I, I wish the players had been better at it, though. I would have liked to have seen two people complete it. The insta-death in less than 12 seconds. I would not give up 
for the world Absolutely because not. it's way too funny. Yeah, that was perfect. That's what you want because also that puts over the the the, the fear of the lasers. So that, that was really good. Well, let's head on over to Dominic Diamond for the second half of PC Impossible and why they will find this next bit very, very tricky. Now we get on to the really tricky bit of this event, loading the game onto the computer. <clears throat> Thank you. Like most new PCs, this one comes with the operating system Windows already installed. When you switch it on, up it comes, and that's the first problem, because most PC games won't actually run inside Windows. So the first thing Dean and Patsy will have to do is exit from Windows like this. The game MechWarrior is on a CD, so the next step is put the disc in the CD drive. We select that drive by typing D colon and pressing enter. The manual tells them to do this so they shouldn't have to figure it out for themselves. That would normally be that except we've played a bit of a trick on Dean and Patsy. The game is too big to run on the computer's normal memory allocation, so when they load it all they'll get is this. They'll need a boot disk, which helps the computer reorganise its memory so there's enough space for the game. To make one, take a blank disk, stick it in the A drive and press return. Right, now we have our boot disk. We turn the computer off and turn it on again with the boot disk still inside. This tells the machine to clear space straight away for the game. After a short wait, when you can stand around looking pretty, Mech Warrior will be up and running. If Patsy and Dean manage to do all of this, I'll grow a moustache like Ian Beale. Because bloody hell, they have set up a challenge here that they are definitely not going to be able to do. Man, this was a kick in the nostalgia for me and reminds me why I hated PC games at this point in time. But it's a real genuine exercise that people will have to go through. And I actually imagine on Christmas morning, if you have a family PC at this point and you've bought mech warrior 2 for little jimmy you might have to be doing this because little jimmy's only seven he could barely reach the keyboard he doesn't know what a boot disk is and you you're stuck you just use this to do accounts and write christmas card lists this is an all day problem this is an all christmas day problem if you run into this and i you know and i that's the thing that i do like about this challenge well i don't love it and i am i'm probably going to be more down on it than you are by the sounds of things I do like the conceit of it because it Dom sets it up being like, hey, if you're lucky, you may get a PC, but here is a problem you probably will encounter on Christmas Day. So I do quite like that as a conceit. And I love the fact that they have made this almost impossible to do. Like they know that Dean Gaffney and Patsy Palmer are not going to be able to do this. They don't come within an arse's roar of doing it. But uh, so I, I, I do like the this, this, this conceit of it to a degree. And, you know, Dom says if they do this, he'll grow an Ian Beale mustache. Don't do that, Dom. Don't do that. Back with the real challenge. Dean isn't doing too well. He's reading the instructions, but not understanding them. Yeah. And this is like, Kirk, have you got any uh, advice to give to him? And Kirk's like, read the instructions again. And sort of like gives this big sort of like nodding thing. It's like, read it again, but read it slowly and read it carefully. And you can almost hear the cogs going in Dean's brain. He goes, Oh, oh, I get it now. And then goes get, and he's proper chuffed with himself that he figured it out. It is the happiest he looks in this entire bloody thing. Dom is not in Patsy Palmer's good books anyway, because she doesn't want to be here. She thinks this challenge is stupid and she doesn't like Dom's attitude. So what does Dom do there? He pulls her hair. This is not helping matters, Dominic Diamond. I do want to say these gold-painted headphones are great, especially because if you look at Dean, he's wearing them like he's about to drop a set at the Ministry of Sound. He's got them slung back over his ears. Yeah, she is not having fun here. She is not having a good day at the office. 
And it probably isn't helped the fact that Kirk is then making fun of her by saying, well, at least you're reading the right manual now. Yeah, she is in manual nirvana. She is surrounded by manuals and hating every second of it. Meanwhile, Dean, he has actually reached a very exciting point. He's got it installing. Yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, as thrilling as this is, we probably should go to a feature. And yeah, this is a feature that may explain why we're here doing this challenge. If you're worried about the problems Patsy and Dean are having, then don't, because Microsoft reckon they've got all the answers with Windows 95. Unfortunately, they've dragged us out to Seattle in the middle of the night where it's minus 10 degrees centigrade to show us. Windows 95 is the software that's intended to make using your PC that little bit easier. Unlike, say, all PlayStations, all PCs aren't the same. They can have a different amount of memory, sound cards, all kinds of stuff. In the past, to get a piece of software or a new joystick on your PC, you've needed to know all about the makeup of your particular computer. Basically now, most major software and hardware manufacturers are making their products compatible with Windows 95, meaning you can just plug it and play. Because Dom even cues this up. This is something we don't see a lot of in Games Master. Dom references this specific challenge. He said, like, Dean and Patsy are having troubles installing this, you know, uh, back in, in, in heaven. However, I'm here for the launch of Windows 95. It's not in California, though, so Dom hates it. And this is all that we saw parts of this already in an earlier episode of Games Master, because this is where the Doom Championships were held. We actually see the guy that Dom made fun of back in that episode he interviews him and windows 95 has been a long old time coming they started working on what would become windows 95 in 1992 before windows 3 had actually been released so they were really really working on something they already knew the limitations of the system they were working in and now 1995 between july and august that's when windows 95 went to manufacturers and to the public. It was a big deal. It still is a big deal because so many of the things that we now come to understand as common parts of Windows started in Windows 95. The taskbar, where the clock is, the start menu. And I know because we'll probably get letters, quite a few of these things existed in other operating systems and had other ways of being seen. Some of them even existed in previous versions of Windows. But bar a few abhorrent kind of like deviations due to touchscreens, what started in Windows 95 is still somewhat recognizable today. Much like Mac OS, you're a Mac user, you, you're talking to me via a Mac right now. Sure am. There is still a degree of commonality between Mac OS in the pre-OS X days and Mac OS now. Yeah. Absolutely. Not a lot, no. but it's still there. But, you know, we did that ep- the, the internet episode a few weeks back and the guy there was using a Mac and you can see a Mac, like the Mac that I've got here, you can see the DNA of the Mac I have here there in the same way that Windows 95, this is a game changer. This is a real game changer because this is the system that puts PCs in homes, affordable PCs and Windows 95. As I said earlier, this is... When I get a PC, I get my first PC with Windows, well, the first family PC, with Windows 95 on it, and Carter 95, all of that good gubbins. There's so many things that have been memed about Windows 95 since because they had the, um, uh, the, 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 the how-to guide that was hosted by Matthew Perry and Jennifer Aniston, the big stars from Friends. You know, what a, a colliding of worlds that is. Welcome to the Microsoft Windows 95 Video Guide. Starring two of television's hottest comedy personalities, Jennifer Aniston and Matthew Perry. 
Ah, Microsoft Fifth Floor. Ladies' modems, children's shareware, and our bridal peripheral salon. Wow. Task bars and email and shortcuts, oh my. Task, Task bars, bars and, and email, email and shortcuts, oh my. And you are? Uh, uh, this is Jennifer Anderson. I'm Matthew Perry. We're here to see Mr. Bill Gates about a possible starring role in the video guide to Microsoft Windows 95. So this is Bill Gates' computer. I mean, that is like using Wayne Gretzky's hockey stick, you know? Huh. Oddly enough, none of it seems to uh, rub off. Uh, <laughs> look, I meant for her to sit at the keyboard. And where's the button that instantly kills anybody that calls me honey? <laughs> you know, I remember losing entire essays in college because I couldn't remember their file names. You know, I just zoned out. Mm. I've lost entire relationships that same way. Really? Mm -hmm. Oh, you don't want to go there. Ah. Test bar? Is that anything like a Snickers bar? Does that have nougat? What is nougat? Does anybody know that? So the recycle bin is like an enabler for the indecisive. And undo is the way we were of computing. This is a, a fascinating point in our timeline here, because this is, this is where it changes. This is literally the point where it changes. And I want to say that at this point, the PC in our household was quite an old PC DOS-based. But next year, 1996, Partly because of my parents' business, you know, being self-employed and stuff like that, and needing something to produce signs on and do the books on, we actually got a Windows 95 PC. And we did get it the next year. And it was bought provisionally for work and schoolwork. You bet your ass I ran Quake on it. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, uh, the, we had it, it was for in Carter, right? It was so I could, uh, you know, do my, my studying for, for homework and stuff. But yeah, it very quickly became for chat manager and it very quickly became for command and conquer command and conquer red alert and doom and blade runner and that and it just it became our gaming pc not that you know not that it ran blade runner very well it would it ran command and conquer it would run red alert i should say it ran red alert but it did not do video well that is where our pc was not up to scratch for it also that pc that we got in 1996 is where I think my journey to being a podcaster kind of began. Oh, yeah? Because on that PC, I eventually wanted to do stuff with sound and record sound and edit sound. And there was a piece of shareware. You remember shareware? Mm -hmm. There was a piece of shareware called Cool Edit, which eventually was bought by Adobe. And it went through some rebranding and became Adobe Audition. Very nice. So I have been using kind of the same audio editing platform since the mid-90s. That's cool. Yeah, I, I, I loved our PC. Nothing the same. Nothing the same. Completely f***ing different now. I, uh, I absolutely loved our PC. It was my first foray into video editing um, as well. And yeah, it was just like, I, I, I absolutely adored having that thing. We had it for years as well. We hung on to that thing for a long old time um, until we got our next PC. And that next PC became the PC that was less about chat manager and less about doom and was more about napster and more about kazaa and downloading things that probably were damaging the pc but hey i got limp biscuit songs for free shocking behavior definitely didn't do any of that no see i we we had this pc in the house for a couple of years and then because i was working and uh working in i, I was already working in it working in an internet cafe and a computer workshop part-time that was when i started working towards and built my own computer running windows 98 and at that point the other pc went into the shop because then it was just there for use for the accounts oh man we're not going to get to that are we in our timeline windows 98 which is a shame as well because you know there was a lot around windows 98 when that came out because there's this big whole 
wow, it's the next step up from it. And then it, it came out and it was like, this isn't as good as Windows 95. We should go back to Windows 95. And then 98 SE came out and suddenly everything was better again. <laughs> yeah, they fixed it all. And then Windows ME came out and everyone wanted them to kill them with sticks. Oh, man. ME was a bad one. Oh, such a bad one. Well, ME was when I actually went professional with a lot of my stuff and I started using Windows 2000 wherever possible because that was kind of, that was the work side of things. Windows 2000. I think I'm, actually, I think my doctor is, my doctor's surgery when I look at their computers, I'm pretty sure that's still on Windows 2000 because it's got that lovely, bubbly 2000s look about it with the green and blue. Mm, oh, tasty. It's so, so deliciously 2000s. But anyway, that's, on, that's in the far-flung future here. We are in 1995, and Dom seems pretty excited about all this. You know, he's talking us through uh, this new joystick that, that's, that he can play with. He interviews Alex Fitzsimmons, who was that devil that he made fun of in the Doom Championship piece a few weeks back. And, you know, that guy's, they, Alex is talking about, like, the benefits of 95 over DOS and this, that, and the other. And then Dom shows us him running a game and how it's like, this would take ages on 3.1. But here we are, here is Windows 95. He puts it in, he starts his stopwatch, and he's like, it takes just 28 seconds for you to get to Tia Carrera. Like, this is a much better way of doing things. And it is, yeah, it really does feel like a massive game-changing thing. I'd imagine if you are a 3.1 user and you see this feature, you'd be like, what? 28 seconds to launch this game? I'm in for that. Yeah, Daedalus Encounter is a game I've not thought about in a long, long freaking time. Because also, it was another title that was actually quite instrumental in the 3DO. It came out for MS-DOS and the 3DO. Those were the two platforms. There was for a while a DVD version back that was kind of bundled in with DVD drives. But of course, the big, yeah, the big point of the Daedalus Encounter is it had Tia Carrera in it. Oh, it's got Tia Carrera in it. Yeah. And she is a foxy lady. (laughs) I made a visual reference. If you watch Wayne's World, you know what it is. Yeah. yeah, yeah. If she was a president, she'd be Abraham Lincoln. (laughs) And Dom's only complaint about this entire trip is... So there you go, proof of how Windows 95 could speed up the whole PC gaming process. The only thing is, couldn't they have told us this in California? Dom, you got to go to America for free, mate. Let's not, let's not, let's not complain too much, shall we? Although it did look arseholes cold. It did look pretty cold, though, didn't it? Right, we're going to give uh, Dean and Patsy, oh, a matter of seconds left before we're going to have to stop them. It doesn't look like they're going to do it, Kirk. I don't think they are going to do it. Patsy's managed to install the game. Dean's also managed to install the game, but they didn't get as far as the boot disk and there's still a big memory problem, so there's no way it's going to run. And we're back in the studio. We're back with the original channel. They failed. Yeah, it's just it's just it, isn't it? Like, they didn't get as far as the boot disk and, yeah, We didn't even really get to see them. Like, they did this whole big setup of like, oh, and when they get to the boot disk stuff, that was going to really bamboozle them. But I oh, know they just, just didn't do it. Um, challenge is over. Cool. It's it's a bit of a wet fart of a finish. It's not a great finish. Right, now, neither of you got to the actual game, but Pastor, you managed to get the computer up and running. Uh, was that as difficult as you thought it would be? Yeah. Or more was, difficult even? Yeah. What, what was the big problem then? I just don't know anything about it. <laughs> but do you not think these things should be easy enough to understand? Yeah, so they should be printed up on this when you load it in, I think. On the screen? Yeah. Instead of having to go through all, all the dull manual. Right. What do you think about that, Kirk? Well, that's kind of what Windows 95 is there for. It cuts out that uh, DOS interface that people get so sick of. But you could always buy a PlayStation. Oh, so you could, instead of mucking around with all this, uh, with all this PC stuff. I'll ask you this point, Kirk. How hard is this to do then in half an hour, would you say, to get, to get the whole thing set up from not knowing anything about PCs? Well, I would say, I mean, it's not Mensa hard, but it's obviously too hard for Dean and Patsy. 
Okay, fair enough. <laughs> right now, Dean, well, uh, what, was, what was your problems as well? You were similar to Patsy and you got the computer set up, didn't quite get the game to run. What was no, your I biggest problem? I don't know what it was. I think um, now I'll stick with my Mega Drive. Yeah, that's, yeah. Uh, that's, that's a lot simpler. <laughs> <laughs> and the post-match kind of thing, isn't that great? Where Dom talks to Patsy and she's like, I struggled. I don't understand anything. I hate all this. I hate you. And I think it should just all be on the screen. Printed on the screen. Yeah, to which Kirk does go, that's what Windows 95 is for. Well, that's it. Yeah. So this is where I made my note here. This feels like an advert for Windows 95. Because you're right. Like, it is just like, I wish this was all on screen. And Dom turns to Kirk and was like, and that's for Windows 95, right? That's one of the benefits of Windows 95. And Kirk's like, absolutely, that's one of the benefits of Windows 95. Blah, 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 blah. And then just says, or you can just buy a PlayStation. And I was like, oh, or maybe this isn't an advert for Windows 95, because if I'm Microsoft, I'd be fucking furious that Kirk said there, look, this will make everything easier, but buying a PlayStation is actually the best way to just play games. I don't know. I mean, seeing how they've treated some of their other paid product placement, I think it's par for the course. But I mean, he is still saying Windows 95 will solve your problems as a PC owner. Or buying just buy a play- a play- buying a PlayStation. It boils down to the fact that Kirk is not a professional. Per- he's not a TV professional. A TV professional would know that this is paid product placement and he would just say this. But he's just a lad. He's just a lad that Dom knows. So he's just speaking quite open and honestly about it, being like, yeah, they will solve problems, but buying a PlayStation is actually way easier to play games. I don't know. I mean, I didn't think he was saying you should buy a PlayStation instead of Windows 95. I think if he'd said that, then there'd be problems. But as it is, oh, just banter in it. It is, but like having done paid-for promotions, if there's one thing that products hate, like that, that sort of like advertisers hate, is you mentioning other products they really get their backs against the wall about that because they want you to pretend that those things don't exist and get really, really arsy about it. That's actually, I mean, there's, there's sort of like advertising terms where you can't do things like that. So I'd imagine this didn't cause any problems because it is just sort of a throwaway comment. But yeah, I would imagine that like when they submitted this to Microsoft, they'd have been like, it would have been better if you didn't have that line in there. Dean, meanwhile, is just going to stick with his Mega Drive. <laughs> and that's when Patsy Patsy perks up at that. She's like, oh, Mega Drive. And that also is probably not helping matters either because they're like, is it to advertise Windows 95? And Dean's response is like, I think I'm just going to stick with my Sega Mega Drive I have at home. What a lad, though. What a lad. What a great choice as well. But uh, okay, that's it. That's about all that we've got time for on the Scares Master. Remember that life is like using a personal computer. Sometimes it's about as user-friendly as a rabid Pitbull, like goodbye. The delivery of rabid pitbull is delicious. It is wonderful, and also I can hardly recommend not trying to install Windows ninety five on a rabid pitbull. Frequently results in blue screens of death and bites. Well, there it is. That is episode fourteen of series five. A very very weird episode, and one that I don't think overall I did enjoy. What about you? I'll be honest. I enjoyed it more when I was just watching it and writing my notes. Talking through it with you, I'm kind of like, oh, it's a bit shit, actually. <laughs> I was like, it's the other way. Normally, it's me bringing you up on episodes, but this time I'm just like, nah, it's not that great. I mean, it's all about that Duke Nukem challenge. Yeah, that, and, I, and I, would go to, I would go to bat for the Windows 95 feature as well. The reviews were okay, even though the games weren't great. They were, they were kind of interesting because they were essentially knockoff games 
of games that were bleeding edge at the time because you got Tekken and here you have this other game of which I've already forgotten the title of and then you had High Octane which was essentially magic carpet run through a cyberpunk filter that and definitely is not wipeouts in the same way that that X-Files episode definitely isn't a thing definitely definitely not so that was interesting and maybe I'd have found the PC building challenge more interesting if the celebs were more into it they didn't have to be better they just had to be a bit more engaging like like punt and dennis yeah. doing this would probably have the same result but it would be more entertaining yeah i mean in a future episode and a sort of like four episodes time maybe less than that i think it's like three episodes time we've got i've got lee and herring on the show like them doing this challenge i think would have been way more entertaining to the gladiators um oh man could you have imagined cobra doing this challenge oh it'd have been so good it'd have been great that would have been such a good choice so is it actually that whilst it's a non-standard challenge, the issue with the challenge isn't the challenge itself, it's the people doing it? And not even that they're not good, just that they're not there. Yeah, I think it's a little from column A, a little from column B, because I think even if we'd have had Lee and Herring doing this or the Gladiators doing it, it's still not a very visually interesting challenge, but they would have dragged it up with their charisma and you know their ability to sort of like savor it somewhat. But all we have is a challenge that is quite bad and not visually interesting and celebrities that aren't really that asked about it, which really, really brings it down. And yeah, I mean, this is, for me, I, I don't think it works. Uh, and if this was paid for product placement for Windows 95, I guess in a way it, it is a, bit, it's a good advertisement for it. Um, but yeah, I, school, I, I, the last thing I would say sort of like in my wrap up things is that this is one of those episodes where I have found it infinitely more interesting doing the podcast about it because, you know, you mentioned the reviews. Two games, not asked, haven't heard of, not really bothered about. However, then you dive into the research of it and you talk, like you and I talking about it and the other, and all of a sudden you're like, oh, actually, that was a really good review section. I'm blinded by your charisma. I'm blinded by the interest of actually looking into these games. But really, it's actually, frankly, a boring review section. Basically, I'm carrying the company. <laughs> yeah, <exactly. laughs> you are doing this podcast and Wikipedia is making some of, some of these episodes more interesting. No, definitely. Ah, oh, I mean, score, it's a tough one. I'm Okay, here's what I'm thinking. Here's what I'm going to say. 75 is our recommends. And I did the gag of doing 74 for the Baby Rom episode because I wouldn't recommend people watch it. I think I am going to go at 75 here. Bang on 75 because I do recommend that people watch the Duke Nukem challenge and the Windows 95 feature, which is actually a large portion of the second half of this episode. So I am I'm going to go 75 bang on the banana. I was actually a bit high originally. I was kind of at 77, but you've brought me down, so I think I'm going to go with 75 as well. Yeah, I think that's the, the fairest thing here because it's, it's not a good episode, but it is an interesting episode from a certain point of view. It's also difficult after last week's episode because last week's episode was so good. Yeah, this is a proper come down, isn't it? What are we going to yeah. do next week? How, are you gonna, how do we score next week's episode? I suppose we'll cross that bridge when we get to it. I guess we judge it on the original material, you know which be, there is a bit of. What would be interesting... Um, this, this feels like we're now just having a production meeting. What would be interesting is if we just took an average of all of our scores um, across like every episode, and that is what that episode scores as a clip show. Because there is in our master spreadsheet an entire section for what we scored the episodes, and I don't believe it's been updated since Series 2. Yeah, an early Series 2 as well. I don't think it's been updated since about Episode 5 of Series 2. 
So basically, next week, we're just going to wing it. Yeah, I think so. But that's going to do it for this episode. That's for, that's for future That's for future us's problem. Uh, that's going to do it for this episode. Thank you all so much for listening. You all rule. You can find us on social media, on Twitter, at underconsolepod, on Instagram, at under.console, and you can send us an email to feedback at underconsultation.com. Which you really should be doing, because we are approaching the end of the season. We've only got a handful of episodes left. So start getting your thoughts on Series 5 in now, whether they're in written form or you can send us a voice clip. There's lots of different ways that you can start to get that feedback in if you want to give us some feedback in real time however even for the end of the series you can do so over on our discord where we have a specific place just for this feedback we have a podcast feedback session i mean you can also leave it in general some people do we're not that militant but in addition to us being there there's also our under console nation the rest of the community listening to the podcast that love games master video games retro pop culture it's a great place to hang out we've had a couple of new people join us recently and everyone is adding their own particular thread to the rich tapestry that is being created it is a wonderful wonderful place as is patreon.com forward slash under console pod where you will get access to ucp extra which is this show format but about other shows from the 80s and 90s and our monthly community show under console nation the five pound level you'll get next week's episode one week early and ad free but at the 10 pound level you get a little bit extra ash what do they get oh at the 10 pound level they get our patreon bonus pack which is our golden under consultation joystick waggler mug which is filled with retro sweeties retro trading cards pin badges stickers and a discount voucher off of our first under consultation t-shirt and a shout out to those 10 pound backers xanderthal william tom the amazing cliff Simon, Sean, Pink Lithium, Retro Fun for Everyone, Reese, Nick, Misha, Matty Boom, Mark, Link, Kevin, Jamie, Ian, Harriet Manga Girl, Gordon Debster, Gordon Browns, David Palmer, David Fisher, Darkside 73, Chrissy Two Sticks, Arcadia Wild Bill, Andrew Cummings, and Adam D. Sorry, that I break It was like he was in the room. <laughs> Love you, Cliff. <laughs> Love you, Cliff. But thank you all so much for listening. We will see you next week. Take care, everyone. Good night. softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. 
The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.